We would like to welcome our listeners to the podcast series Who's Universal, which we will be hosting in the run-up to the White West Conference, taking place in the 5th and 6th of March 2021. The conference is co-organized with Kader Ratia and Ansam Franke, and my name is Anna Tesherepintu. Our guest today is Nikhil Pal Singh, Professor of Social and Cultural Analysis and History at New York University. Nikhil Pal Singh is also the Founding Faculty Director of the NYU Prison Education Program and the author of Race and America's Long War, published by the University of California Press in 2017, and Black is a Country, Race and the Unfinished Struggle for Democracy, published by Harvard University Press in 2004. We will be discussing the structuring force of race in American politics and the coming election. I wanted perhaps to start uh, referring back to your uh, essay, The Afterlife of Fascism, which was so important mm -hmm. for the conceptualization of the series of conferences in the White West. And uh, I was wondering if we could begin by... Um, unpacking a little bit uh, how you describe this very under-theorized nexus between uh, fascism and settler colonialism. Uh, sure. Uh, the, the essay was, the genesis of the essay was in the period uh, after the launching of the Iraq war uh, in 2003. So, um, so it was during the Bush administration um, and it was uh, most immediately conditioned by the uh, decision by the Bush administration to sanction torture, uh, in addition to um, other other policies they were pursuing, like uh, renditions around the world, just seizing people and putting them in prison, and uh, not having trials, not having not having charges, not having any kind of proper judicial procedure. Um, so that was a moment in which many of us began to have a conversation about um, a really fundamental devolution of our um, our political regime. I mean, one, the, poli a pol the political regime had, in a sense, lied and cajoled and manipulated the nation into a large-scale war. Um, and then it had pursued uh, policies that... Um, uh, that abrogated any um, any conception of uh, of due process, of human rights, of, um, of of kind of basic international legal conventions around the protection of um, of, of prisoners and people in custody. So I think that really began a conversation about um, whether we are still living in a um, a liberal democratic order. Um, and I think liberal democracy in the United States has always been uh, a very strained and constrained form and one governed by a series of um, historic exceptions. Uh, those exceptions uh, derive in a most fundamental way from the legacies of settler colonialism and frontier expansion um, and the legacies of slavery um, and legal segregation, Jim Crow, and the racial ordering of life chances. Um, and those two sets of kind of historical legacies or, or genealogies move forward in time in a kind of self-amplifying spiral. 
So settler colonialism is not something that happens once and for all as a kind of event in our past. Um, it's, a, it's a long expansionary process um, that moves outwards. And the conflicts attendant upon frontier expansion and Indian removal um, and the abrogation of treaties, um, the, the genocide of, um, of specific tribes and groups, um, these processes move forward in time and they continue and the conflicts that they've engendered continue into the present. Uh, similarly, the conflicts uh, that derive from American slavery um, and the aftermath of slavery, uh, the, the century-long period of legal segregation, the denial of voting rights, the subjection of African Americans to uh, spatial apartheid and um, uh, hyper-policing um, and various kinds of extra-legal violence, um, those, those legacies also continue into the, the contemporary period. Certainly, we see that most clearly in the in the, the situation of policing. So um, part of my work as a historian has been uh, around these issues. Uh, and I've specifically focused, you know, most, most prominently on the African-American historical struggle. Um, and one of the things that uh, came, became clear to me in the, um, in the period of the of the war in Iraq, was that we were seeing, in many ways, the recapitulation of some of these these histories, uh, these legacies of 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 the of the settler, of the settler um, kind of demiurge and of um, of the racial ordering of of unequal citizenship. Um, they were clearly manifest in the in the war on terror. Um, uh, one of the one of the important uh, legal decisions in the war on terror, which uh, sanctified the idea of the enemy combatant, um, actually referred back to uh, the Indian Wars um, of the late 19th century. Uh, similarly, some some commentators observed in the lynching photograph in the photographs that were taken of the prisoners in Abu Ghraib a resonance with the lynching photographs that were circulated. Um, in the uh, in the post reconstruction and early 20th century period when the lynching of African Americans was a, 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 a in, in its ascendancy so um, the, the 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 legacies of, of extra legal extrajudicial killing um, tied to state sanctioned um, uh, processes of unequal citizenship it seems to me are are partly what resonate with the um, the legacies of fascism. Now in, now in the United States, we don't tend to talk about fascism as, a, uh, as an aspect of American political culture. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that um, when, you, when you think about the forms, um, the, 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 the state sanction, the, the, the sort of the linkages between state sanctioned violence, um, processes of um, racial ascription, and, and the activation of the mob, um, I think we see all of those um, throughout the, the history mm -hmm. of the United States. Uh, they, they tend to be differentiated and targeted um, at the frontier, um, at, the, um, at the ghetto, at the, at the, uh, the, the places of, um, of kind of racial sequester, uh, the prison, for example. Um, so one of the things that I argued in that essay is, is that we, we should have perhaps a more... Um, a more differentiated and disaggregated understanding of what we mean by fascism. 
that fascism is not simply the kind of um, the kind of moment that everything is assembled um, in the in the Nazi regime. Outer war, inner war, uh, imprisonment of political enemies, um, uh, anti-democratic leader cults, authoritarianism, uh, racial targeting and scapegoating. All of these things maybe you could say come together in the in the context of the Nazi regime. But you see many of these elements in uh, disaggregated forms in kind of a continuous history that derives from Western colonialism, settlement, and slavery. Um, and the great African-American poet Langston Hughes in the 1940s called, called this, uh, quote-unquote, our native fascisms. So the native fascisms right. in the United States have not taken the form that we might uh, uh, think of um, when we think of the, the classic models of fascism in um, in, in Italy and, mm -hmm. and Germany in, in, in the middle of the 20th century. But they are part of what, what, we, what we might say is a family of resemblances. I am not one who would argue that, that, that we are living under fascism or the Trump administration is a, is a fascist regime. Um, it's an extreme right-wing nationalist, nationalist regime. Um, it's a regime that is still beholden to um, neoliberalism broadly in its, uh, in its conception of, of, of economics. Um, it's, still a it's still a regime that upholds, um, perhaps in a, in a, in a loose and, and, and often corrupt way, uh, the, the premises of constitutional democracy. Um, when I called that essay the afterlife of fascism, I, I, I was really trying to indicate something about the way in which the elements of what are thought of as a fascism that had been vanquished after World War II mm -hmm. and established the terms of a liberal international order were, 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 um, were, were that was a kind of mythic conception that fascism was never fully vanquished. Um, that that its elements it, its elements were retained in this disaggregated way that I previously described, and that in some ways remains submerged or perhaps just on hold, awaiting a return. Uh, I think we still find ourselves in that situation. I think we see elements of, of the resurgence of authoritarianism around the world. I think we see the assert the 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 resurgence of elements. Uh, uh, of our of, of our political history that um, seem more and more reminiscent of fascism, but I think we'd be we'd be mistaken to simply describe the situation we're in as a fascist situation, um, and I think that really goes to your point about about Biden, um, because I think Biden um, and Obama before him, you know, they represented a kind of a uh, different kind of imperial management. Um, of, of the United States, they they um, they represent a kind of a kind of a more racially inclusive face um, for for uh, neoliberal uh, kind of global ordering um, under capitalism. Um, they represent um, a more a more liberal version of of U.S. nationalism, um, which is uh, premised on the idea of. Of, of racial pluralism and the inclusion of different groups. So they don't accent, accentuate or highlight um, the white supremacist dimensions of American nationalism in the way in which mm -hmm. Trump does. Uh, but they don't diverge fundamentally either um, in, their, in their main political economic commitments. Um, the differences between our two political parties when it comes to um, uh, 
the the the, pri- the giving a priority to um, um, corporate interests, um, uh, right. uh, giving a, giving a priority to um, a certain kind of vision of international trade, although they accent it differently. Um, giving a priority to American military primacy in the world. Um, all, all of these things are shared across our two main political parties. Um, so, you know, in some sense, I think we find ourselves perhaps uh, shifting back to a more palatable framing um, of the American imperial project under Biden, if, if Biden does indeed win. Mm-hmm. Um, and a less contentious a vision of the sort of internal um, political life of the country, at least at least in a rhetorical sense. Um, but all of the kind of contradictions of our moment that neither of these political forces of the of the far right or the or the neoliberal center, neither of which have been able to they, they've been able to master are going to continue to persist and fester in this moment. So I don't have a lot of uh, great hopes for Bidenism, um, if we want to even call it that. Um, but I, but I think you know. I mean, in a in a in a limited sense, it's obviously far preferable to the kind of um, the kind of disorder and chaos and um, a, a kind of um, kind kind of a extreme instability that that uh, Trump provokes. I was wondering when you said that you wouldn't uh, say that Trump is a fascist because I think that really ties back to the what we would. Uh, think fascism is, or what would, in, how would we define fascism? And uh, you know, like if one would say that fascism always entails like the splitting of capitalism into industrial capitalism and financial capitalism, isn't this exactly what Trump did? And in a way, is easy in that sense not a classical corporatist and an order liberal, which would be like exactly how I would define uh, you know the structural or. Uh, uh, dimension of fascism in the sense that um, basically it always entails a partial critique of capitalism. First of all, let me be clear. Um, I said I don't think we're living under a fascist administration. Um, uh, whether Trump is personally fascist, a fascist, um, I'm I'm willing to leave that more flexible and open. Uh, I think he has fascist tendencies. Um, I don't think he's been able to master the the uh the terms of the political moment or our um or our political administration um i think he's ultimately um uh, a relatively weak figure uh, i think some of this will be borne out probably in the election we will see um it's 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 a question of how we characterize what we mean by 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 a fascist regime I think uh, that that may be the difference that I would want to emphasize. Um, we we don't have a mobilized mass politics behind Trump or Trumpism. Uh, there's a minority that is quite mobilized and uh, uh, supportive of Trump, but the majority uh, in this country, um, and certainly the mass mobilizations we have seen uh, over the last um, several months. Are, are are very strongly, I think, against the the current administration and its its tendencies. So, um, so there is the the question of kind of how we think about the role of mass politics and collective mobilization mm-hmm. um, as a as an element that is is maybe required by a, by a fascist administration um, and a fascist regime. Um, the 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 politics of racial scapegoating 
uh, as well is um, is is targeted. I mean, it's targeted at migrants above all. It's been targeted at the border. Um, there's an element in which it's been targeted at African Americans uh, by the police, but that's also a much longer history, um, and that's a, a, a much longer set of institutional practices which go far beyond the scope of Trump. Right? The the architects of um, mm -hmm. The war on crime and the mass incarceration um, of African Americans and Latinos, and also whites in the United States. I and mean, the United States has the largest prison population in the world um, of any of any country in the world of over two two point three two point four million people. That that complex grew up over the last thirty years, and its architects were um, neoliberal Democrats or progressives. Um, Bill Clinton signed the big crime bill in the 1990s. Uh, Bill Clinton also signed the, the Welfare Reform Act mm -hmm. in the 1990s, uh, which stigmatized, again, welfare recipients and began the kind of cutting of social support and social safety nets um, that, have, that has so worsened life chances um, for, the, for the, the very poor in the United States, right? So, so the, the, the project of producing um, a race and class order that increasingly skews to the very wealthy um, and punishes the poor has been a bipartisan creation in the United States by liberals, by, uh, by, by center, centrist and right-wing politicians. Um, and so that's why I'm reluctant to um, exceptionalize Trump, mm -hmm. right? To see him as a kind of... Um, as a kind of unusually um, sort of um, sort of outlying manifestation of the kind of the kind of broader tendencies that we've been living under uh, in the United States over the last thirty or forty years. Uh, now, certainly, you're you're right that 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 rhetorically and to some sense in a in a in a set of policy orientations, he has accentuated a certain kind of um, argument um, around um, uh, uh, restoring kind of the vitality of, 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 of industrial work and the industrial worker, um, you know, against a kind of predatory globalization um, that may be attached to, um, to China, um, to, to, um, to, to neoliberal conceptions of, of, of free trade, um, and also then it sort of, sort of loops back around to attach to the figure of the vulnerable migrant who comes in as a kind of parasite on the social order, um, I think those th that sort of that sort of conceptual formulation that you're, yeah. I, if I'm reading what you're, you're saying correctly, um, yes. has a has a, a lot of, has a lot of affinities with a kind of a kind of a, a fascist rhetorical frame, and we certainly see these these um, these these connections being made. In, in many contexts across the world where far-right parties and politicians have come uh, to the fore. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm not saying that um, we're not in a situation where we're, we're wrong to be talking about fascism. Um, I just think we may be premature in some of our judgments mm -hmm. uh, about uh, what the current political situation and balanced forces actually reflects. Um, and the current U.S. election is going to be a very interesting moment, I think, in, in, in sort of giving us some information about this. Because if it ends up being an election in which Trump wins, uh, and if it ends up being an election in which perhaps Trump wins by 
um, by chicanery, by, by fraud, by voter suppression, by intimidation, um, then I think we will have, we will, we will, we will have to revisit again uh, the question. Uh, we will have accelerated, as you say, even further down the road toward a fascist situation, uh, toward a situation in which we've even lost kind of minimal democratic protections. Um, but I don't think we are actually uh, quite there yet. And I think mm -hmm. the reason why it's important to, to be uh, clear about this is because I think there are some ways sometimes in which our tendencies to, uh, you know, what we call doom scroll, uh, to, to sort of sound the alarm, um, can, can actually disable us politically, can make it more difficult for us to actually take the measure of our opponents who aren't always as strong as we may think they are or as they want us to think they are. So that's something that I, I, I try to insist on. I was uh, um, bringing this up because uh, what I observe here, especially, is this kind of like... Um, strange, ambiguous space that uh, conflates, you know, everything from anti-vaxxers to anti-globalization protests to COVID deniers to, uh, you know, like uh, even, uh, you know, like the fringes of this kind of like anarchist or punk movements with Holocaust deniers. And, uh, you know, like mm -hmm. it's interesting to observe like what happens inside this ambiguous space that is opening up because I think that it really allows for a critique or a disruption of capitalism to be inflected in the direction of fascism. And uh, um, that was a little bit what I was trying to say because I often wonder uh, if... Uh, there is, you know, like if there is this moment, you know, if there is this kind of like clear threshold where you will know that you have entered this fascist space or or yeah. to maybe yeah. like rephrase this slightly, will we know when it's time to pack our bags and get out? I think it's a good point. I, I, <laughs> I really do. And I think um, I, I, it's, it's a question that I, um, I often think about, uh, it is an ambiguous space, and it's a very uh, it's a very unstable one. And I think how it is articulated in the coming period it is going to really be, you know, pretty pretty decisive. I, I think we're still in the kind of interregnum, um, if you will, where, as Gramsci says, you know, all the morbid symptoms are are, are appearing and multiplying and um, and amplifying one another, uh, and. I, I worry about it too, and you're right, right to worry about it. And I, I certainly don't mean to to dampen the, the 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 sort of sense that that we are in a very alarming moment politically that could take an even more dangerous and violent turn um, in the in the coming period. And and I think you're also right. We we may not know. We may not know when to pack our bags. You know, and, it, and we may find that we are we are too late. Um, I, I think all we can really do is is try to marshal our energies and our 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 allies and our um, uh, uh, those who are like minded and those who we see as as capable of being part of you know a a kind of a popular front against um, the kind of tendencies that are assembling. Uh, I think though something in what you said is is really really important. Um, it's it's not always legibly the far right. Um, Right. in this moment that is, is, is a cause for concern. 
You know, it's 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 the it's it's a kind of proliferation of irrationalities in the public sphere, whether it's um, those those who have have com- kind of completely lost any faith um, in in reliable uh, public information, uh, which is partly a, a, a conscious strategy that is accelerated again by the by the right by the by the the, the force the forces that, that that sort of call everything fake news, um, but also by the liberal corporate media, um, which has long um, subordinated. Um, investigative right. journalistic sta- standards to its own um, its own kind of manipulative uh, ethos um, that is yes. really oriented towards pro- profit, um, uh, and then of course you know in the public health arena, um, this is happening today in the United States. I mean, Trump is basically out there. Uh, not allowing our own FDA, the Federal Drug Administration, which regulates. Yes. Um, new new drugs is not allowing them to establish rigorous standards around a vaccine for COVID, because he wants to make sure that uh, a vaccine can potentially become available before the election, even if it's not vetted properly. So 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 the FDA and the scientists around the FDA, I think, are rightly saying, if you don't have a reliable set of standards around the vaccine, you are going to actually increase the distrust that's already there. Right around the the idea that vaccination can be an effective public health tool. So that's already out there, and that's likely now to accelerate because this is becoming sort of subject to political polarization and manipulation in the same way that even wearing masks is in the United States. I mean, you describe being back at work in Germany, and Germany has a very low COVID rates compared to, to all of Europe. Um, because there is it's still so, at so, some level, I think, some some level of civic trust that has a kind of um, ha- has a kind of thickness, you know. Ours has thinned out to the point where um, you know, wearing masks, not wearing masks is seen as some kind of um, political statement. Um, and it's it's very, very concerning. So so we're fraying very, very quickly. and and this is to say nothing of the kind of ecological context, right? Because, because the ecological context is the larger frame of the deterioration, right? Of the, of the kind of um, the opportunities that are now being given to those who will exploit every disaster to further weaken our, our kind of public, political, democratic infrastructures and capacities. You know, so... So I, I think we are in a we are in a kind of war of attrition, and and um, and so it is it is very very concerning, um, and uh, my only my only hope is is sort of that um, we we can actually have a counter movement um, that 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 grows and develops its own capacities in response to this moment. It's it's really the only thing that uh, that matters right now is the is our ability to develop that. Exactly who would you say the allies are? Perhaps if you could uh, um, explain your term uh, insurgent universalism. Yeah, okay. Um, universalism obviously presents a problem for us because of the ways, as you point out, it, it, it is tied to um, an enlightenment conception that has been... Um, uh, uh, 
aligned, also aligned with um, uh, the colonial project, right? So, so, so most of the universalisms that we have confronted in the in the in the periods since the Enlightenment um, have been really about trying to make the 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 initial forms of universalism, which were largely fictitious, live up to their promise, right? Um, and obviously, there have been waves and waves of criticisms of, of, of fictitious universalism. I mean, one of the most notable really comes out of the 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 Mar you know the Marx the Marxist tradition. I mean, Marx's famous essay on the Jewish question, which which really talks about how um, political emancipation, the kind of formal universality that is aligned with um, inclusion in state citizenship. Um, misses an entire arena in which um, exploitation, inequality, alienation, and redemption are kind of being intensified. The, the arena of, of political economy, the arena of class exploitation, um, and so forth. Um, and I think uh, similarly, if you think of the great anti-colonial uh, movements and struggles, um, and one of one of the great theorists of the anti-colonial mo movements and struggles, Franz Fanon, um, you know, similarly talked about the the failures of a certain kind of uh, a, a certain kind of universalism that had a name of the Enlightenment and that had taken the name even of of nationalism. Um, but even Fanon is 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 kind of kind of recognizes. Um, to some degree, that the struggle for national sovereignty for those who have been denied national sovereignty is part of a dialectic um, within within a kind of um, movement towards the widening of and of a of a kind of a universal uh, project, a project that is that is truly inclusive. Um, so by insurgent universalism, I think, uh, and that's a term I use in thinking about black freedom struggles, you know, it's really about holding the existing uh, fictitious and exclusionary universalisms to account for the kinds of exclusions that they instantiate. But they are not in general projects that reject the possibility or the horizon of universalism. Right in the name of kind of say uh, uh, embracing a kind of a, a kind of a, a particularism that is exclusionary along different set of lines, I think we have to struggle over the terms of the universal. We have to struggle over the terms of the democratic. We have to struggle over the terms of the enlightenment. Um, I don't think that these are these are uh, legacies that we can uh, simply say were once are once and for all irre irrevocably aligned with that which oppresses us the, the colonial mm -hmm. the white supremacist the patriarchal and so forth um, because i think every movement of insurgent universality has tried to disembed those forms of of kind of kind of privileged univocal or unilaterally declared universalisms and tried to pry open the universal um, for a for a more solidaristic and inclusive vision, a vision that in fact um, works across differences rather than flattens or erases differences. Um, now, there's a, obviously a very complicated debate internal to this, right? Um, uh, but but 
I, I, I've tended to be pretty consistent on this point over the course of my, my, my writing over the last 20 or 30 years and in really arguing against, um, you know, those who kind of insist that we can, we can never reconstruct a universalist politics. Um, I think we can only continually try to reconstruct uh, from and salvage from the kind of wreckage that is produced by uh, these, these false and fictitious universalisms that have imposed schema on us, that have produced so much carnage and destruction, and that have relied so much upon um, these legacies of exclusion. Um, but but I but I don't think that this is a simple this is a simple issue uh, by any means, and I'm sure that there's much disagreement within this this discussion that we're going to be having about how to approach this question. Um, but but when I when I look at the writers that I the, the the thinkers and the intellectual traditions I draw from, whether it's Marxism or anti-colonial uh, thought or the the um, the traditions of struggle that come out of the Black Freedom Movement exemplified by thinkers like Frederick Douglass, W.E.B. Du Bois, or Martin Luther King Jr., um, what I see in those, um, those, those trajectories is a struggle from the margins, right? But, but, but mm -hmm. that is, that is, that is that, that in some ways, because it is from the margins and it, because it is from the standpoint of the excluded, has a truer apprehension of what a genuinely inclusive um, uh, polity would look like, right? Um, and I and I think that's the so, th those are some of the those are some of the tendencies and struggles we need to build upon now again. The political content of this insurgent universalism would be socialism. I think the political content would be a reassertion, okay, of um, of internationalism, certainly, or or we might call it a planetary kind of vision. Um, mm. uh, so so solidarities that move outwards from the local, um, and mm. uh, uh, and try to try to imagine our connectedness, um, and try to imagine the ways in which um, we um, we inhabit a common set of background problems as a species. Above all, the ecological horizon, which imperils all of us. Um, so that would be the largest horizon, the kind of the planetary. Um, but obviously, all politics is, you know, has has sort of scales down to 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 smaller and smaller, uh, ultimately place based location. Um, and mm -hmm. so I don't know that we can. Um, we can simply um, envision a kind of one-size-fits-all model. So that, that would already be a kind of rethinking of what we mean by the universal. The universal would have to emerge from, to some degree, the, the, the kind of local experiments uh, with um, right. producing a more flourishing and sustainable form of social relatedness and a more sustainable form of collective uh, uh, and flourishing form of social decision making, okay. Um, but mm -hmm. I think some of the elements of it uh, you could call it socialist, if you want. But mm -hmm. I think socialist is 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 too much um, tied now to uh, a kind of um, a kind of as you say a sort of a a national laborite welfare statist kind of kind of framing of benefits and beneficiaries, 
Um, and I think we would have to uh, try to be, we'd have to be able to break that apart at some level. Um, we, we'd, mm -hmm. have, we'd, we'd have to actually try to move towards um, a vision of socialism that is rooted in a in more, a more primary set of connections around the de decommodification mm -hmm. of land and of mm -hmm. labor, um, and, and to some extent also of, of, of finance and money. Right. I mean, all of that you could sort of trace to a to a kind of Polanian vision, although Polanyi, of course, has his problems in the sense that he is also rooted in that national welfareist kind of conception. But I think what I'm talking about is a uh, a vision more of the, the commons. Right. Of a kind of a kind of a reclaiming of aspects of of, of the commons um, that really should be available to to all people. Right, and and that that really means um, shelter. Um, it means basic income. Um, it means um, access to the resources we need to sustain our lives. It means education. You know, I think we have to kind of almost become simpler again in what we in how we start mm -hmm. to talk about um, what we basically value and need for human flourishing, and then the conditions that we confront. Now, how you translate that into a viable politics, right, is the hardest question. Because any viable politics, it seems to me, has to still, to some degree, go through the nation-state form. Uh, we, we have no way to transcend it uh, in, in one fell swoop. Uh, but we do have opportunities to, to better converse across boundaries, to 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 locally experiment and to think about how to communicate that with people in other parts of the world. Um, and the challenges of scale um, and, and making our, our, our visions um, uh, achievable in some kind of real um, sort of institutional form, um, I think are, are, are ahead mm -hmm. of us. Um, but but mm -hmm. but that's my best way to talk. That's my best way to talk about it. I think what I, what I mean or what I think by it, by mm -hmm. um, by um, by the challenge of left universalism right now. Um, and I think you are absolutely yeah, no. right. I really agree with you that that a lot of our politics is breaking right right now, um, and including the politics that we maybe historically associate with the left, labor politics. Um, you know the politics of the uh, of of parts of the academy. Um, uh, a lot of it is either breaking right or it's still within solidly located within a kind of neoliberal technocratic frame. Um, we we don't have a, a strong uh, socially networked um, international uh, or globally um, kind of um, oriented left in the current moment. And that is a problem for us. It is a really, really big problem for us. But uh, would universalism not be part of the problem? Because, and I'm not saying that I disagree with you, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, like a lot uh, of the struggles of, for instance, like indigenous peoples in South America are precisely against the synchronization of our life worlds that is imposed not only by capital, but also by the state. So maybe the way around this problem is is for us to start to think in terms of multiple universalisms. So in the kind of sense that Balibar talks about it, you know, this, the, 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 the indigenous 
the, indig the struggles of indigenous people are fundamentally linked to the decommodification of land. Um, they're fundamentally linked to a, to a, to a reclamation um, of, um, of, a, of a different kind of relationship to, um, to, to the natural world. Um, and the commodification mm -hmm. of land, the rearing of land into a, a private grid is the modality of indigenous dispossession across time. So indigenous struggles in that sense are universalist. They, 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 they have a particular set of re references and they certainly have systematically victimized and harmed particular groups of people disproportionately, but they have a universal import Okay, and we might make a we might make a similar 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 argument about struggles against racism. That racism has 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 disproportionately uh, affected specific groups. Uh, it's harmed mm -hmm. different groups differentially, um, but the struggle against racism, right? Racism has dis dis also disfigured our politics for everyone. Right, it it has a general import in the Not way in which it, um, it, it. Well, in the sense, I, I, I okay, <laughs> not for everybody, but but absolutely for the majority, absolutely for the majority. I would I would insist upon that in the sense that um, the 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 role of racism in the history of the United States, um, for example, if you look at the history of slavery and the history of Jim Crow. Um, disfranchisement of African Americans was also a tool to disfranchise the poor more broadly. The poll tax was applied in many ways to anyone who couldn't pay at the polls. Um, these, these certainly provided privileges and opportunities for, for, for whites of, a, of, of, of the lower orders to gain certain kinds of, 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 of benefits um, but they and also, status. in a general, but in a, in status, but in a general sense, they also profoundly depressed living standards for the lower classes. Um, the The American South um, remains the region that is the poorest, the least educated, the least unionized, um, the worst public benefits, the worst public health. Um, that is true, not just for. Um, African Americans, but it is also true for poor whites. Um, the, the, the fastest rising rates of incarceration in the United States today are in poor rural white counties in the United States. So even though the prison itself has been a racially a disproportionate and racializing institution, that process of racialization has also been damaging to people who are, who are also caught in the webs of, of poverty, ill health, um, and subjection to um, punishment and police. So I think we have to actually start thinking in this way if we are actually going to be able to do the thing that I'm saying I believe we need to do, which is to reconstruct universalism. We have to recognize disparities that operate along race, mm -hmm. gender, uh, or along the lines of indigeneity, disability, all kinds of lines. We, 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 we are very good at recognizing those disparities now. But the disparities uh, become 
uh, act, can become activated for a broader politics only when we start to convince people that actually recognizing how those disparities have universal import uh, impact wider and wider groups of people, not only those who suffer those disparities directly or most harmfully, that we can mm -hmm. actually begin to recompose um, a, a left majoritarian politics again, because we have become we have become marginalized and ineffective, um, not 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 only because. Uh, uh, the, the, the right is so powerful, but also because of our own inabilities to sort of um, kind of confidently uh, uh, address the, the largest questions before us. Well, Race in America's Long War, as you know, is my, my last book uh, published in 2017. Um, it is uh, a book that contains uh, the essay we discussed earlier, The Afterlife of Fascism, which was written um, in 2006. So these essays were written over a, a longer period of time, and they really are my effort to kind of think through um, some of the ways in which race and racism matter in the history of the United States over the long durée, um, and some of the ways in which the legacies of American um, racial projects um, or racial regimes um, ha have been renewed um, in the context of um, American imperial uh, warfare overseas, particularly during the Iraq War. Um, uh, but it's also, I think, um, in a really fundamental way, uh, my effort to sort of talk about the way in which uh, empire abroad um, and kind of racial violence uh, in the domestic arena are also uh, networked, uh, that they have reciprocal effects, that they're interrelated, that there's a sort of boomerang effect. Um, M.A. Césaire fam famously talked about the boomerang of colonialism um, when, when discussing fascism during World War II. Uh, after World War II and discourse on colonialism, that, that, that fascism, in a sense, was colonialism boomeranging back into the European heartland, the homeland. Um, uh, uh, Hannah Arendt made similar kinds of arguments, you know, that, that the suspension of law um, in the colonies uh, became the sort of basis for suspending law in the mother country, um, that governing people without rights um, in, in contexts where it was easy to suspend rights because those people were or racially inferior or what have you um, uh, could, could actually become a means, again, of, of destroying and deforming our own democratic politics, of undermining the idea of citizen protection, uh, where it was thought to be sacrosanct. Um, so I was interested in those boomerang effects uh, related to the war on terror and how the war on terror and the war on crime um, which preceded it um, in the United States were, were kind of uh, uh, kind of conjoined projects, um, and in some ways these these essays in the book uh, shuttle back and forth in thinking about uh, American counterinsurgency, American policing at home, and how they're in a kind of dialogue, um, how they're how they're mutually reinforcing and kind of amplifying projects. Because one of the differences of, of the United States from the, the European colonial experience, of course, is, is that our colonial experience has always been also domestic. 
that it unfolded through right. frontier expansion, that it unfolded through mass enslavement. Um, so we've always had a kind of domestic colonial um, situation um, that then um, uh, in some ways was uh, uh, part of the, the, the overseas expansion that the United States begins to um, pursue in the early part of the 20th century, first in the Spanish-American War of 1898, the Philippines counterinsurgency, which is the first major counterinsurgency of the 20th century that the U.S. fights and, and begins a kind of long, long arc of American warfare in Asia, which you could say runs all the way to the end of the Vietnam War. So uh, the United States is a tremendously violent country. Um, its violence is, is, is very integrally connected to its history of, 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 of race and, um, and, and expansion. And, and that is, in the broadest sense, what my book is exploring. And it's trying to show how those histories continue to echo and reverberate in our politics in the present moment. Anna, thank you so much. Take care. Okay, bye-bye.